Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week, we have Clyde P. Riddlesbrood. He is the founder and owner of the Riddlesbrood Touring Theater Company, which he started in 2000. Currently, they're one of the most successful and vibrant theater companies in the New York, New Jersey area, performing over 100 murder mysteries and dinner theater shows per year. He has personally been in over 5,000 shows in his lifetime, and as a company, they have done over 1,500 shows. In addition to this, Riddle Brood Productions uh, produces several large Broadway-style shows for their Art on the Move performing arts program for children and teens. Clyde is also the author um, of the curious novel, The Greatest Brochure in the World, illustrating <laughs> how storytelling can impact a business brand for the positive, which I think is also interesting. Um, you went from performing arts to writing a book, which is arts but not performing. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Right? Thank you so much for having me on. It's a real pleasure. So how did you get into theater? Was this something that's always been in your blood or something you came upon later in life? Well, it's probably something a little bit in my blood and my upbringing. Um, you know, my both my parents were involved in uh, entertainment from when I was a little kid. Uh, I think they actually met in a high school show. Um, and uh, so, so uh, you know, my mother and father both, uh, they got divorced when I was just a baby, but both of them went off in their own ways and, um, you know, were involved in bands. And uh, my mother did Top 40 stuff and did the bars circuit you know and uh, my, my dad did a bunch of improv shows and was involved in a lot of different theaters um so so i was always getting drug around it so i was always kind of around it growing up um the other thing too is my uh father started a theater company uh he kind of partnered up with with some people and they started a theater company down in cape may uh in the late 80s um and uh, that was running it's actually technically still running although we don't aren't involved in it but uh it was called elaine's dinner theater and uh i worked there for years and years and years up until we started riddles brood so um you know i've really just always been involved in it you know whether i wanted to be or not i was there did you ever go through one of those rebellious years when you were like i'm not doing this because both parents do it you know what? Um, not necessarily, because um, when I was in high school, um, I was always, you know, forced to do tech, you know, and help build props and, you know, do sound effects. And I was always doing the technical stuff because I was always good at that, do lighting. But, I, th but my father, at least, was very reluctant to ever let me be in the show. So I always <laughs> felt like, oh, man, I could be so cool if I could be in the show. So I'm stuck watching a lot of the, the – and they're all comedies, so they're all – uh, all the shows at that time were all zany, wild, crazy actors getting laughs like stand-up <laughs> And I was like, I want to do that. But I wasn't really allowed. So in some ways, uh, um, I, I, it gave me a taste, but I never got to take a bite until later. So that was your rebellion age. 
Because <laughs> you're like, I'm going to be on stage instead of backstage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, and honestly, part of it, though, uh, I actually went into the Army, believe it or not. I was in the Army oh. for four and a half years uh, when, after high school. Um, but even there, I did some shows. You know, they had a, a theater off outside the base, and I did some stuff. Um, but really, when I came back, uh, I worked at Elaine's uh, full-time uh, while I was going to college. And, um, and I did that for uh, while I was going to college all those years. But by the end of it, I really, I realized, you know what, I just, I really want to do this for a living. I don't want to actually use my college uh, education at all for, for, for that. So, What'd you, you know, get your education? Does. what did you get your degree in? Well, actually I didn't technically didn't even get my degree. Finally, I, w- I went for four years uh-huh. and I was going for archeology. span believe it or not. So, um, so yeah, you know, I could go on for how that happened, but um, <laughs> to make a long story short, my, unfortunately my stepfather died like, you know, really kind of out of nowhere. And I only had one more semester to do. And um, you know, to kind of make a long story short, my mom went kind of bonkers uh, when that happened. And uh, we kind of had a deal like, Hey, you could live here for free so long as you're going to college. And when you're done, you know, you, you know, you, you can do your thing. Well, she kind of like, Oh, now I don't have any money. You guys, you got to get out. So what happened is, you know, we left, I left and moved in with uh, a friend and uh, you know, I had to drop out of school for a little bit and come, come what may, I never ever, ever went back. So that's that sad little episode. <laughs> but it hasn't, it hasn't hurt your career at all. I don't think, well, I mean, maybe it would have gone a different way, but the fact that you're still doing what you love and making a living of it. Yeah. You know, everything happens for a reason. And, mm-hmm. uh, I definitely love doing what I do. Um, you know, I, I'm not so sure I would have loved, uh, you know, sitting around, uh, digging up artifacts, uh, as much as I like what I do here. <laughs> so Coming up so, with the stories, like said, you know, things work in, in strange ways and you got to roll with it. Yeah, you never know. So then what gave you the idea to start your own company? Well, um, a couple of things. I mean, at the time, uh, like I mentioned before, we, I was going through a, a real personal crisis at that time. You know, I realized, you know, boy, I went in the army for four years to earn money to go to college, which I did then for four years. And now all that's just nothing. You know, all that was wasted time, wasted energy, uh, and uh, and I was, you know, depressed. I wasn't very happy, um, and I had some friends from the theater uh, down in Cape May that I worked with, and some of us, you know, were drinking pals too. And after some of the shows, we said, you know, why don't we start our own theater company? You know, why don't we do our own thing? You know, and um, and that'll be a fun thing to do on the side. Also, some of my friends used to play, and my brothers were involved at the time, and we used to play Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, yeah. I didn't even bring it up this time, twin. Yeah, <laughs> Stacey, every every person we talk to, she somehow gets that in. We were <laughs> we were really into the gamer thing, and uh, especially when I was in my early teens, uh, and. Um, so we really got into uh, Dungeons and Dragons when we were young, and some of us still did. So anyway, so we still would play D and D, and oh, we play almost weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't <laughs> played in a very long time. But all my friends that did that, you know, long ago got married and said, "Sorry, no time for that." But um, but but anyway, that's really what happened. We decided to start our own theater, and 
and this isn't actually where Riddle's Brew came from. We were going to start another theater troupe where I was not even really in charge of it. I was one of the main founders, but we we got together. We had all these meetings. Uh, we said what we were going to do. I started getting ready. I was getting lighting. I was getting all you know systems in place. But I got my first taste of what it's like uh, to be with people that are all talk and no action. Uh. So everybody really wasn't doing anything. There were bickering and arguing and nobody could agree on this, that. Uh, And then eventually um, it all fell apart. And I just said, you know what? You know, screw you people. I'm going to keep going. You know, I think this was a great idea and I'm going to do it on my own. Then, So I kept going. And um, and that's kind of how Riddlesbrew started in 2000 is that thing fell apart. But I thought we had a shot and I thought it was a good idea. So I just kept going. And you've done a lot of the research and, and found a lot of the the information that I'm assuming that you needed to get it going. Um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I, I, I just was, <laughs> I just was determined to try. And, uh, you know, I thought maybe I knew something, but I, at the time I really, in retrospect, no, I, I knew nothing, but well, maybe knowing nothing was my best uh, advantage. That's what I, I was knew just what gonna... I was getting myself into. I would have probably never done that. <laughs> Everyone I've talked to says, says the exact same thing about, if they knew that that's what it was going to be like, they never would have done it. Even general directors, they're like, if I knew this is what it was going to be like, never would have taken the position. Yeah. Too bad. They all do it anyways. So that stuff was down, or at least when you at Elaine's was, you said down in Florida, how did you get up to New York, New Jersey area? Well, actually, no, it was in Cape May, New Jersey. The the very tip. Oh, New Jersey. So yeah, it it. was about maybe like four hours, three hours from New York. So Okay, uh, so have you always been in New York? Huh. See, in between where Cindy sometimes is and Cindy currently is. Yeah. <laughs> Did you grow up in New Jersey? Oh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, all over the state in different places. Uh, you know, I lived for a time in New Hampshire. Uh, of course, when I was in the military, I drove around, uh, was in, you know, in Georgia, was in Washington State, was in Cuba, was in Korea. But 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 mostly Jersey. Yeah. Uh, Pennsylvania, Jersey. This might be a a really big question, but what is the biggest difference between what you thought it would be like to start your own theater company and what it's like now, 19 years later? Well, I mean, 19 years later now, it's very much what I always hoped it would have been. It just just took a long time, long, long time to get there. And what it was is, um, you know, when I was young in my young 20s, you're working at the dinner theater down in Cape May. And and I was involved in some other theaters, too, here and there. You know, they were already running. You know, they were already Mm -hmm. running. They already had they already had people. They had, you know, four shows a week. So uh, I took for granted the idea that, you know, oh, you know do a show and they will come, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but at the time, uh, you know, Oh, you know, and you know, of course every young actor sees the director and sees the way things are run and says, you know, I could do this better. I can do this better. Is yeah. Coffee. This is disorganized. Well, of quick, of course, quickly, I realized that boy, 99.999% of all your time is running a business and only one billionth of a percent is actually doing art. And uh, that is the reality. 
and uh, and uh, so so at first I was thinking, oh, you know, we're gonna write a really good funny show, and then you know, and then we're going to um, you know go to different restaurants and say, hey, hire us to come and do do our show and pay us money, and uh, that took a lot of work to get that rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah I can see that taking a pretty long time what did you have a team of people with you or did you do most of it yourself in the beginning before you were able to build up a group of people well when we first started it was really it was me uh my two brothers and uh a, a friend uh from from Elaine's that I used to work with and he moved in with me up uh we actually started in Collingswood New Jersey right outside of Philly that's how well, we started and I Again, there's a there's a thousand failures on the way to success. And when mm-hmm. we first started, the idea was, yeah, we were going to do some shows, a, a couple touring shows at restaurants. Um, but w- what our real idea is, we wanted to have a little block, a black box theater right on um, in Haddon Avenue there in Collingswood. So I, uh, at the time, the housing thing was going really well, and uh, I was able to get buy a house, you know, buy a, like mm-hmm. a little row house that, that mm-hmm. was there. And, uh, this, these are the days where, you know, you only had to lie about how much money you made and, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. So I, I basically said anything I had to say to get a loan and, and, and somehow I got it. So I got that building. Uh, and of course the downstairs, you know, have been an apartment. So all of us went in there with axes and bars uh, <laughs> and started knocking walls out. We were just gonna, you know, no, no, no permit, no nothing. Just, just uh, a bunch of guys with axes and sticks and crowbars just ripping walls down. And then we painted everything black and and hung a bunch of lights in there. Uh, and, and and then we you know, realized pretty quickly that the town said, no way. Yeah. No you can't turn this into a, an, right. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And it was just, again, it's just pure young idiocy and arrogance that, that, that we did. But you know what? Um, you know, we beat our head against that, but what happened luckily is the first year we did it, our first show was actually a comical version of a Christmas Carol. You know, uh, and and that was our first show. And we actually uh, went restaurant to restaurant. Uh, We had this brochure that I started creating, which later became the greatest brochure. Uh, But (laughs) we had that little brochure. We were peddling it anywhere we could go. So uh, we went pretty much every restaurant, every bar. You know, we would go to a strip joint anywhere, you know, anywhere to get anywhere that would hire us. Uh, And we booked like five or six shows. Um, And we we started to say, whoa, maybe we can, um, maybe this will work. Uh, so actually pretty quickly when we realized the black box theater was not going to work, uh, and we were never going to get permission and to get permission would require unbelievable amount of money and lawyers fees and board meeting, you know, going to the chamber of Congress, all that. We, we just said, you know what? Screw that. We'll just abandon that whole thing. Uh, and, uh, and then we just started to just to work on the restaurants. And, uh, so again, succeed through getting your face smashed in 20 times, you know? So what did you do with a house with no bottom floor? Well, uh, for, uh, for a while, basically nothing. 
but it, <laughs> it was our rehearsal studio and it was a big storage oh, unit. Oh, yeah. So okay. we were still able to rehearse there. Nobody could tell us we couldn't rehearse there, at least at the time. Uh, maybe nobody really knew that we were, but, but we did it anyway. Um, and that's where we stored all our equipment. And that's where we, uh, we built our set stuff. Uh, remember, all the shows we were doing were like dinner theater uh, style comedy, comedy shows that you would do in a restaurant. So the sets were small, but they were meant to be very compact and could unfold and, and make it look really cool, but really be very easy to bring into a building. So, mm -hmm. um, so we built everything there. Uh, so that's what we used it for. Eventually, uh, we abandoned it, and uh, I sold the building. Luckily for me, the housing market went crazy in Collingswood in um, around 2004, and uh, and I had literally, and I didn't know what I was doing. I had literally a guy walk in, said, "Hey, would you be interested in selling this place? I'll I'll give it to you for this amount of money," and I was like, "Sure." <laughs> you know so you didn't even have to work at it you know so i made like you know, I, I don't know what i made i made like 10 15 grand for after busting it all down and beating this building to down but i didn't know anything about real estate at the time uh so i thought this was a great deal from heaven that somebody was willing to uh buy it and uh and and then so i got out of the house and um and uh, sold it and made some money that we used to uh, to move forward with the business. <laughs> Man, yeah, it's it's a crazy, it was, it was a crazy, <laughs> crazy ride. Now, now you know, a, a lot of it is just perseverance and faith and the, the knowledge that nothing will make you stop, nothing will make you fail. I mean, nothing will stop you from gaining what you want to gain. Um, but we really got super lucky in like two thousand one. What happened was that, um, to make another long story short, somebody found out about us uh, through I don't even know how. And they, and, and they heard that we had done this one show in Vineland that we had done. And this guy said, hey, I'm starting a little theater. I'm starting a little dinner theater in Smithville, New Jersey, right outside of Atlantic City. And, uh, you know, we're looking for some entertainment. So I was like, sure. So I, 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 of course, you know, we, the theater was basically shut down at the time, you know, I had a part-time job. I was, you know, all, but I had a business card, I had a suit, I had a brochure and I had a lot of bullshit. So I drove, <laughs> right. And I drove there and, and, and I sold my ass off and I made it sound like, you know, we did this, we could do this, we could do anything. We could do this. Well, the, the guy, decided he was going to hire us, Riddle's Brood, uh, to be in residence. No other entertainer. We would be the only entertainer. And, and he turned this place into the show barn. And uh, we, out of nowhere, had a budget of about $10,000 a month to pay actors a salary to have a cast house <laughs> and to keep a theater running. Right. To have like a venue and everything all in one swoop. Everything just fell into my lap in a miracle, right? And uh, and all of a sudden, it was just like, what? Did this really just happen? Yeah, uh, that's amazing. It, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And it lasted for a good three and a half years. And then the guy, we come to find out, you know, he went bankrupt. 
he, you know, it, it, he, he was losing, he was losing money uh, like Niagara Falls. It was just pouring out of his wallet and pouring into the, into a hole. Um, so it eventually all collapsed and we were thrown back to uh, the wilderness. But you see, by that time, we had had enough, we had built up enough of an infrastructure, just enough of, you know, teeth and claws, you know, to survive now. Well, so, by then, did you have like a an, a core acting group and you had some shows written and you had stuff under your belt by that point, right. things that you that, could then take with it, you? That's what it is, because for that uh, four-year period from when we first started to when the show born, you know, completely collapsed. Uh, and we knew it was going to collapse for like the last year. We were trying to save it, doing it, but, but I knew it was only a matter of time until this was all going to die. So I was trying to, you know, coordinate with other restaurants. And so, so uh, even though it completely collapsed and we went from doing, uh, we went from doing, I think 160 shows in uh, 2004 to doing five shows in 2005. Wow. So it was a massive drop. But but we were able to not completely shut down. Now, obviously all the actors had to go off salary and most of them all went away, but there was a few that I had befriended that uh, and one of them was with me from, from the beginning. And uh, you know, and they said, Hey, listen, you know, we'll still do shows, you know, uh, let us know if you ever book one and we'll still do it. So that was the seed of me being able to reconstitute everything again. So we never actually completely ever shut down. We still had a few shows and, um, and it kept us from death. So now you're without a home again. So then did you just stay as a touring company for a while after that? Or I don't even actually know if you have a home now. I can't. No, we know we don't. We know that that actually became part of our, um, every single time we've ever tried to have a home has always been blown up. Mm -hmm. So we've decided the best thing to do is to be like a ghost, right? We're just going to uh, yeah. other people's homes. We'll haunt other people's homes, right? And that's really what we do now. Uh, we, we, you know, that's become our real business model is to, um, you know, wherever we hang our hat is our home, you know, uh, at each show. And honestly, that turned out to be a massive, massive blessing uh, because, uh, like you said, when you first started, you've known lots of people that have tried to start their own theater and everybody goes the brick and mortar way. Everybody thinks that's, you know, the dream is to have a little building. And, uh, but of course, with the little building comes a lot of overhead. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. They're so, so just true. managing the building is so expensive and then you have to deal about putting on an actual production. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's that that's that's really a unbelievably difficult way to do it. And not, not only is it very difficult it's also you're always under someone's thumb like w- what we found is again when the showborn completely collapsed you know uh, that was a massive lesson because we were like oh my god we had all our eggs in one basket you know it, it, it killed us mm, so right. we, we 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 swore up and down that uh, i certainly did uh, that i would never again allow the entire theater to be uh, at the whim of only one client. So everything has been about diversification now. Now, you know, we do, you said a hundred shows. Yeah. We actually do more like about 130 shows a year. Um, And um, 
and actually they're mostly all one show things that we do for one private party. I mean, we do have quite a bit of restaurants that will hire us four or five times a year, some more, but I would say 75% of our stuff is actually all people that just hire us. We come to a show, we leave, done. Are these for so, like events, for parties, just for? That's a lot of the dinner theater slash murder mystery slash comedy show. Yes, it's mostly restaurants that are looking to do special events so that their customers will come in and want to do something fun. Uh, company parties are very big. Uh, fundraisers, very big. Um, you know, birthday parties and stuff like that are also important. We also do a fair amount of senior uh, tours. So a lot of senior groups at senior centers and uh, clubhouses over 55 and older communities, you know, they often have mobility issues, can't really go, uh, go around to go to yeah. theater. So we come to them, we go to their clubhouse and we do the whole show right there. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So now we're never really dependent upon anyone. If somebody, you know, doesn't like us, we can kind of be like, all right, well, Go to hell. Just, yeah. Or, or, yeah, we just won't do a show there again. Right, we won't go to do a show for you. Right, exactly. Um, so it, it doesn't mean we don't want to be professional, but it just means that, you know, um, whenever you're working with a client and they and all your eggs are in their basket and they know it, they know they can put the clamp on you, you know. So yeah. we, we luckily don't have that issue as much. I don't know if I've ever heard of – what, there must be others out there. Have you heard of any other company that has a similar model to this? Because like oh, you said, sure. almost everyone I know is, well, I guess there are some touring companies that do mostly tour, but they still have, well, maybe. Well, it, it, you know, we are somewhat unique in our extreme philosophy of having no home. Like, you know, there are other murder mystery companies. Um, that's one thing. When we started off, it was mostly dinner theater and comedy. And then somewhere around like 2006, seven, all of a sudden the murder mystery uh, craze kind of came back into vogue again. Uh, so we started to do murder mystery shows as well, which really aren't very different than dinner theater, except that somebody uh, must be murdered in the beginning. Except <laughs> for somebody uh, dies. Yeah. That's about yeah. it. But honestly, <laughs> our shows, we have to murder a couple people anyway. So, you know, we're used to that. So, you know, <laughs> someone must be sacrificed, sacrificed at the beginning of the show. And then the audience has to figure out who did it. But really, it's not too much different. But there are other murder mystery companies out there. Um, but there's not too many. And, and the reason why there's not too many is I think they realize how hard it is to do. And the biggest thing is it's hard to keep talent together um because if you're not doing about 100 shows a year uh that means you're only doing one every once in a while and that if you're only doing one every once in a while how are you going to keep your actors involved right um, they're booking other gigs and they they're have, booking other gigs yeah. they, they have other jobs they, they you can't keep your talent so you have to be you have to have a certain amount of steam running in order to uh be able to to keep going. Otherwise, you have to pay your people exorbitantly high in order to make them, you know, take a day off or something. Um, so, so, so that's that's part of it. You have to, you really have to be running. You can't be stopped. It's very hard to to run run a business like that when it's stop and start, stop and start, stop and start. If if you don't have a home base, then 
and you tour around to a bunch of different places, how much tech elements do you have outside of props and costumes? Uh, quite a bit, actually. Now, we, we again, we've thought about this very, very carefully. It was always, always part of my personal desire. And you know, because I started off loving tech and doing lighting and stuff. So I... I noticed that I thought that whenever I went to some other murder mysteries, I always would go there. And again, I, you know, I spent my life doing shows. Uh, so I would always go to these murder mysteries and I would say, boy, this really sucks. You know, these guys stink. There's no lights. There's no sound effects. Everybody's just wearing whatever they pulled out of their closet. Yeah, they're trying to be funny, but it has, it's just very visually bankrupt. And we always said, you know, what, what we're going to do is we're going to do as much of a production value as possible to make it as much of a spectacle as one could under these circumstances. And that requires um, a whole lot of design. Uh, luckily, you know, I know how to weld. One of my other actors knows how to weld. Another one of our actors, besides being a good actor, is also good with electronics. Uh, you know, we build our props from the ground up. And they're designed to be fitting in a tiny little thing and expand into a big thing. Uh, and, and, and that gives us a major edge over our competitors because they're not, they're not fabricators. So being mm -hmm. fabricators is a massive help. So you guys fit in like a, a bus and truck kind of thing or like in, the, in a sprinter van? Yeah, basically a van. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we do some smaller shows where it's just the actors and no equipment. We call that our budget show, which is probably much more what people are used to when they're seeing a murder mystery. So if you only have 30 people or something, you don't really need all that microphones and all that. Um, right, that's but, true. But, but when you start climbing over 80 people, then people start to have an expectation of some serious production value. So, you know, if you've got 150 people, you know, I mean, you know, you have a pharma company, you know, giving you three grand to come out there and do a show, you know, they're expecting to see LEDs, lights, awesome, you know, lasers, special effects. They're expecting to see a cool DJ setup. Uh, the only difference is, is you're doing a comedy show, not, not playing music. Um, <laughs> but, but that's what they expect. They, they expect that kind of spectacle. And you need to be able to give it, uh, otherwise you're going to be at a massive disadvantage. Especially since LEDs take such little power, they're so easy to move around, they have different colors. Especially now. See, I mean, we started, we had the old par cans. You know? yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Lights in. We would be blowing breakers in restaurants and extension cords everywhere. Extension cords going all around the building. All that luckily has gone. Uh, thank goodness. LEDs have made that a lot easier. Yeah, and probably make it more fun for you guys for different lighting, colors, effects, strobing. Oh, yeah. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, we, we love to have fun with that. We, we really do. We'd like to do it more, uh, you know, but there are constraints. But, but, but whenever we do, we try to really have a very nice spectacle uh, to give the audience something to ooh and ah about uh, besides the entertainment. <laughs> like besides what we're actually putting on stage well that kind of leads to my next question do you guys write the pieces yourself because they're all kind of I, I know on your website there's a place where you can like customize or somebody mm -hmm. can call you and customize it so they're all pieces that you've created they're not like you go down to the drama bookshop and buy a show and, and memorize no, everything we never we, we never do book shows that way every once in a rare rare while um we would do it for our community theater program which 
you know, that didn't start until years after that. So, uh, you know, we've done some like Robin Hood and stuff, some more regular community theater shows on a bigger mm-hmm. stage. Um, but that's that, that we didn't start doing that until much, much later. Um, you know, our core business is really the, the touring theater. So, um, but you're right. As what you're saying, we do, um, our, our shows are highly improv very, very highly improv. So we don't necessarily have really long written scripts. Instead, what they are at is a series of, um, you know, really kind of nice frameworks and stories uh, mm-hmm. that we can, that the actors can kind of spin uh, and create the show. So it's not, it's not like watching long form improv where people are asking the audience, hey, you know, what do I have in my hand? You know, it's not like that, but in its, in its core, it has a lot of that improv machinery. It's just that we hide it. So if you were to go to see comedy spores or a highly improv troupe, you know, they, the improv is front and center. They're showing, Hey, we're making all this up on the fly. Uh, we are the reverse. We actually, it's highly improv, but that's all hidden. We do everything we can to pretend that it's not improv, mm-hmm. but instead is a regular book show. And after 20 years, we've got a really good handle on how we do that. Because and, you have a, like a core group of people that you work with, so you kind of right. all know each other yeah. really well? Yeah, a lot of us. Now, we get new people, and some people leave and come and go, but we've had some people that have been around since literally 2001. You know, mm-hmm. I have, awesome. there's still one actor that still hangs out from those days. Uh, the other one who's a main person, uh, he's been here since 2003. Um, so there's some old timers with us, but, but most of the people have cycled in and out, but usually people stay for a good three or four years. Uh, and I have a couple of people that have, you know, been here for a decade, you know, uh, and they're working actors. So they do shows at other places. They do other murder mysteries. They do other things too. Um, but they just, they, they do this too. So, uh, you know, they they get a lot of experience and they don't do anything but entertainment. They, a lot of the actors that we have, uh, we don't even let the call them actors. We're really entertainers. Um, it's a really a better way to look at it. Um, they all, a lot of them don't have other jobs. A lot That's of them excellent. can just do entertainment full time. Um, and I consider myself really lucky to not only have them, but also, because we're, we're, we're busy enough that I can keep them busy enough that they actually look at Riddle's Brood as a viable income source all year mm-hmm. long. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that goes both ways. Yeah. That's really awesome. It just kind of made me think of, I'm wondering if this is a little bit how it was in Shakespeare's day. Now we do have like full written shows of what we think Shakespeare is, but you know, right. it was mostly them just like up on stage playing with each other. <laughs> And, you know, knowing each other well enough that they can feed off of each other on a regular basis. I mean, I'm sure that there was a lot of that. I mean, you know, we kind of also harken back to we, we try to, you know, part of our company culture is, is almost like the old wagon idea. Yeah. You know, we, we take, a, you know, we, we roll our wagon into town and we do our skit and then we roll away. Right. And then you pack everything back up and then move on to the next one. Right. As a matter of fact, we do a lot of promotional events now. And that's where, you know, Clyde P. Riddlesbrood, he's kind of like, you know, a cross between a wandering, you know, uh, wizard uh, and a gypsy master or something like that. And uh, 
we for our promotional events we have that we set up like a wagon and uh, we, we hmm. come out of the wagon and go oh ladies and gentlemen gather around so we actually still you know that's part of our identity is the idea that we are a touring theater company in every sense of the word and, and unabashedly proud of that yeah that's really really cool okay so can you give us the backstory of Clyde because we introduced you as Clyde Riddle's brood but Clyde Riddle's brood is is a character is the feeling of the touring group uh, what who what's going on <laughs> well, now you are beginning to drift into the more metaphysical more esoteric ineffable aspects of what riddles brood is um but i will do my best to try to explain this a little bit um <laughs> as i said at the beginning uh me and my brothers some of my friends at the time were big gamers and uh we used to play mostly uh, the Dungeons and Dragons and uh, some other RPGs, but mostly that. Uh, and one of the things, I, I was the DM quite a bit. I was always very good at being the DM, so everybody wanted me to be the DM all the time. Uh, and one of the characters I had in our little world uh, was Riddle's Brood. And he was kind of like the arch nemesis. Uh, you know, so whenever the players, you know, there was always Riddle's Brew was somewhere behind pulling the strings of whatever. Um, so they all, at the time, we were, we liked, all of us liked Beetlejuice and stuff like that too. And, you know, in 2000, companies with strange, bizarre names like Google and Yahoo and, you know, <laughs> Dogpile and all these stupid names seemed like a great idea. So we said, well, listen, why don't we do you know, we'll make our theater about like kind of like Beetlejuice, uh, you know, this character that's a crazy recognizable character, uh, except that we took this character that I had from Dungeons and Dragons. So yes. I took Riddle's Brood. And, uh, you know, it's Riddle's Brood's theater. And uh, you never see him because he's always in the back pulling the strings in the shadows, uh, you know, and maybe the theater is only a ruse. Maybe he's actually trying to take over the world, but this is just the, the this is just the cover, you know? <laughs> so that was the, I, that was the idea when we started. Um, and then there were some other things too, um, that, you know, I could get into if you want, uh, you know, when, when I was really on the skids and down and out, I was living in my mother's attic. You know, and uh, it was weird because we had played Dungeons and Dragons in there when we were kids, and then we all moved out. I went to the army, and nobody had been up in that attic in like eight years. And then after all was said and done, I was on the skids, and I had to go back up, and I had to stay in that attic. And everything was still set up in the room like it was when we left like eight years ago. <laughs> and uh, and 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 we swore up and down that there was a ghost up there. You know, there was there was something up there, you know, and you would have nightmares sleeping up there. <laughs> and so it became kind of a common lore that, you know, that's Riddle's Brood up there. You know, Riddle's Brood is... He, he, is haunting he, your, your every you know, move. He wants the theater to exist. So, so that our job is to uh, make sure it does, you know. Um, so, so that's kind of where some of that uh, came about. Uh, now the idea is, is whoever the executive director is, uh, is, is Clyde, right? Uh, so that, you know, Clyde is the costume minus the actor. Uh, an actor can put on the costume and become Clyde, 
but what, but, but the, the costume is always there. So the costume Clyde is always uh, ever present, even if he's, even if the costume's not worn and we kind of have like a ghost light thing. Like you said, we don't have a home. Well, we have an area where we leave what we call our hat rack and it has Clyde's costume hanging on it with the ghost light on top. And that sits there and that's all, that's the center. That's our home, no matter where we are. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, that's the metaphysical side to, uh, you know, so you, know. you mentioned it, it depends on the executive director. So do you guys switch around? We were talking to somebody else who did that. Like every couple of years, they just kind of like switched who was in charge to give somebody a break for a little bit. And they just had like this core group of people that rotated. Uh, you know, not nobody. We, we haven't really switched the executive director. I, I was the original founder, and since everybody left, and I, it was always me having to put all my own money in. I basically yeah. am the owner of it. Yeah. Um, but we do. It's more a little bit more egalitarian than that. We have like a board. Uh, it, we're we're a for profit corporation, so we uh, oh. we don't have like a we don't you know you don't have to have like a non a board of directors kind of board. and yeah. Uh, but we have a board of what we call our uh, T one actors which are our top actors that get paid the most they've been around the longest they have the most responsibilities and they also have usually side duties like one of them is the company manager uh one of them is the casting director one of them uh you know is kind of like a jack of all trades uh usually we have a recruiter uh so so we get together every month and we have a meeting but uh i'm i maintain the executive director position but a lot of times we do a lot of promotional events where Clyde goes out and usually several different actors play Clyde. So <laughs> whoever is wearing the costume is Clyde. <laughs> and we also say uh, wherever the, the hat rack is. And if you ever look at our website, you might notice you see a picture of Clyde holding this strange hat rack. Um, oh, I was wondering that's what that what was. That, yeah. I was like, yeah. what kind of weapon is that? You got a sword no. in one hand. What's in yeah. the other hand? It's the hat, hat rack hat. actually folds up into a staff. So the idea is that he looks like a wizard when he walks out, and then he puts his hood back, and he puts his staff down, and his staff opens up into a hat rack, and he puts his hat on it, puts his coat on it. <laughs> so it's kind of like a very theatrical way of entering. Yeah. Uh, when we oh, do I want to... I want to see that happen. I want a coat rack staff. Yeah. <laughs> well, the good, the, the funny thing is we, we actually kind of even implemented the, the hat rack is supposed to be the center, you know, because we don't, since we never say we ever have a home, wherever the hat rack is, is the center of, of the company. So what we've actually done is um, because we're always traveling around, the actors get a certain pay, but they also get a travel pay. If it's more than 50 uh, linear miles from our center, so, you know, most of the actors, if we're, you know, we're in South Jersey or if we're doing a show, you know, I don't know, in, in Atlantic City, it's within 50 miles. They don't get travel. But if it's more than 50 miles away, if it's in Long Island or upstate New York or Lancaster, PA or wherever it is down in Maryland, um, then it's more than 50 miles from the hat rack. So because because it's more than 50 miles from the hat rack, which actually has a, you know, GPS coordinate, you know. <laughs> Uh, because people don't build, th then they get their extra bonus pay. But every once in a while for fun, because it actually is written into the bylaws that, that it's based upon where the hat rack is. So every once in a while for fun, we'll bring a hat rack to a show. 
uh, you know, which means that now the center is where the show is. Is, is there and no longer right. where it used and to be. And nobody gets their travel pay, right? <laughs> so it's like a dirty trick, right? But usually <laughs> we never do that. Usually it's the other way around. Usually uh, what we'll do is, usually if we have like a triple, you know, we might bring the hat rack to one place uh, and, and that'll actually make the other two now, you know, farther away. The, the, so they get their travel. So, uh, you know, as a matter of politics, we don't do that. But every <laughs> like, once we want to keep our performers. So, right. but we do it sometimes uh, as a as a lark, uh, you know, and we keep it as a policy. Like, well, we can do that, you know. So, yeah, good. Be good, and we'll take the rack. Yeah, <laughs> you'll get the rack. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah, you know how these theaters are weird. Theater people are all strange. We have to come up with these kinds of strange traditions to keep ourselves. Uh, it's uh, very true. Interesting. <laughs> so um, uh, anyway, so yeah, so um, that, that's a that's an awful lot about the our crazy company there. Any anything else you got? <laughs> I feel like I'm blabbing. I'm not giving you guys a chance to. No, but that's what we want. Because, like I said, we've. Number one, we've, I don't think ever talked to anybody who started their own theater company and had it run like this, but also nobody who's ever done a traveling theater show like this. So all of this is brand new. So we're just kind of like soaking up all this information because it's all so new to us. Well, I'll tell you what, I could definitely give some advice. I mean, uh, you know, if people, honestly, I, I would say that I think it's probably, it was a little easier when I started than it would be today. I think it's probably harder now than it was then uh i'm sure everybody says that when they get older but um but it certainly seems like it was easier to do certain things then than it is today because of Uh, all the like rules and regulations now about what you have to do or well no i would think uh in some ways the internet has been a massive big boom help but in some ways it's also made it really hard to be local like like for so when we first started off, we didn't think when we thought when we thought touring, we thought you know within a few towns of where we lived, you know, you know. Now it's within five or six hundred miles, you right? Because just anybody and, could look you up and and get a hold of you. Right, right. So so and and the other thing too is back then, if you were like say a local little theater troupe in a town, and you know you worked with a high school or worked with the local community theater, you know, uh, if somebody needed a show in that area, uh, they really had nothing that they could do other than really call around and say, hey, do you know where anybody has any actors, or they call local theaters? Uh, that has all gone away. Now everybody mm-hmm. just jumps right on Google and says, you know, touring theaters or, you know, whatever, traveling yeah. theater troupe. Uh, and then they'll get people that are not in that town and probably way superior to anybody in that town and way professional and probably even at a better price point. So you can't be local anymore because there's not enough food to survive locally. You yeah. have to be able to, you know graze over a larger pasture otherwise you're going to have a real hard time so how did you make that transition you said in the beginning you kind of just went around with the brochure and talked to everybody locally now you guys have this awesome website but what what was that transition into it well um you know search engine optimization didn't really start becoming a major factor for us until about 2009 Uh, before that yes we did have a website but it was mostly 
you know, we, it was like anything else. We didn't have the money to do real, you know, newspaper advertising and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. everything we did was straight up sales. You know, it was me and one of the other actors would drive uh, on long trips and stop at restaurants and banking facilities. We drop off our business card, drop off our brochure, uh, and then follow up with a call. And, you know, hey, these are some of the shows. You know, Halloween is a great time. So we would constantly be doing it that way. Uh, sometimes even mailing the brochure to a place too. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of, you know, you know, kind of like uh, gumshoe, you know, walking down the street, wearing your heels out, you know, sales. Yeah, yeah. Um, that has mostly gone away uh, because it's just far less efficient to do that than it is to, you know, spend a thousand dollars a month on Google AdWords or, you know, so now we're at the position where we can throw money uh, at things that we couldn't do then. Um, so we don't have to do those things that we once did, but people starting out, that's what you got to do. You know, all you got is your, you got to get your name out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so in that regards, you know, I think, you know, you have to be, if you want to have your own theater company, uh, first of all, just everybody out there seems to have their own theater company too. It's, it's, there's a lot of people <laughs> that, that have a website and they do one show a year and they're a theater company. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but, you know, you can exist or pretend to exist, uh, but that's not really going to get you too, too far. Um, but if you really actually want to make a living and make money doing it, you really have to be a salesperson. Because if you can't sell or don't like to sell, uh, you are going to have a hard time. Yeah, I think that's my thing. I, I'm terrible at selling. I can do all the background stuff, but I'm terrible at asking for money. Well, you got to look at it the right way. See, I mean, we're actors and we love attention, right? And, and I used to say this <laughs> before, like, you know, I love talking about uh, – comedy. I love talking about lights. I love talking about funny new jokes and funny new bits. Uh, you know, my wife doesn't want to hear that shit anymore. <laughs> She's sick of it. <laughs> you know, my brothers, they long ago ran away and said, I don't want to hear about this anymore. You know, the people that are close to you, they're sick of it. They don't want to hear it. But if you're a salesperson, you get to go and talk about it to strangers and they might even listen. <laughs> Because <laughs> they haven't heard the spiel a million yeah, times and they get excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's how I think of it. Yeah. Especially people, like you said, who aren't in this field. So it's so new and exciting to them. Whereas, you know, to us sometimes when we talk about things, it's just like everyday common stuff. You know, like, oh, yeah, today in rehearsal, you know, we had to pull out a rifle and then, you know, we made this out of paper mache and, you know, and, and these things that are just like normal conversations for us. And everybody that I'm around, they're like, what do you do for a living? Yeah. Well, people don't understand the creative stuff. I mean, you know, I think a lot of our people, they love making things, you know, they mm-hmm. love doing cool, creative things. Now, not everybody, but, but a lot of them do. They get it. And honestly, for us, I can't say this enough. We really like to call ourselves entertainers or vaudevillians more than, than quote unquote actors. Because the, the, the thing is, is, you know, when you say actor, it, it kind of has a connotation of, um, I don't want to say elitist, but a, a little bit of a sense of, you know, I'm a well-trained person that can pretend to be someone else. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be mesmerized and, and learn something. We kind of go the different way. We're, we're pretty much like 
laugh whores. <laughs> we'll do anything <laughs> for the joke. I mean, almost anything. And and we're more like stand-up comics because we're constantly thinking like, oh my God, what could I do? What could I say? Oh, there's a person over there. Oh, they look, that looks like, that guy looks like Bill Cosby. Oh, maybe I could, th can I think of a Bill Cosby joke real quick? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, oh, Hey, Hey lady, this guy, Bill Cosby, he just put a roof in your drink. Did you see that? Right. This is the thought process of our style of acting. It's how can I get a joke, get a reaction uh, out of these audience? Because, you know, that's really what it is. You're trying to connect with them. You're trying to get them to relate. Uh, you're trying to get them to wake up. You're trying <laughs> to get them to pay and put their phone down, for God's sake. Uh, and that requires a much different skill set and a different attitude than I'm going to be up on a big stage and they're going to be 35 feet away from me and I can't even see them anyway because the lights are so bright and I'm just going to do my, my acting. And you're going to uh, recite the words that you memorized already. Right, right. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and there's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I love doing some big shows like that every once in a while too. Uh, but to me, there's no thrill in that. To me, it's not like I'm in a Formula One race car, you know, weaving in between cars. To me, that is being on the ground, walking between the tables, being naked in front of the audience where you don't have anything but your wits uh, to win them out over. To me, mm -hmm. that, I love that. Uh, and a lot of the actors we get tend to like that or get better at it as they go along. Um, you know, uh, and some people can't do that. Some people don't like that. Um, yeah, that would make me extremely nervous, but that's also why that I'm not, <laughs> yeah. But you also have to read the room because you could do, quote unquote, the same show with a completely different group of people and their reactions yes. are going to be so different. Oh, yeah. We, we definitely have our toolbox filled with jokes and bits uh, that, 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 you know, if we feel like, oh, you know, this is a good audience for this joke. Right. Uh, you know, uh, right. And, a lot, and, and the actors were so at, at a point where, you know, if one of the actors like gives me just the right look and like looks over at somebody, I know what bit he's going to do. <laughs> because I know he's going to say, you know, oh, by the way, and I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to have to set this up because I know he wants to do that joke to this lady. Uh, so, so after a while, you really get to know that. Um, yeah, because you guys are such a well-connected group that have been together for so long, many of you. So, well, yeah, a lot of us. But even you know, you're right. New people that just get in, and you know, for their first five to ten shows, you know, they're they're learning. They're getting their sea legs, you know, they're kind of learning the ropes. Um, but it doesn't take very long. If pe There are people out there. I mean, we've had people that have never acted before in their life, and they're a waiter, and they're, they're, they're 10,000 times better than somebody who went to get their master's degree in theater. Mm -hmm. It's just because they just have that natural talent, and, and there's just nothing you can do. That person is just born that way, uh, and they're probably terribly annoying to their parents and everyone else in the world. But when it comes to being in an audience, that is where they shine. Mm -hmm. um, because all the things that probably make them a little annoying and weird in everyday life makes them exceptional. Is what, yeah, is what people love about them on stage. Right, right. And that's why a lot of actors, at least the ones that we do, are weird. You know, you have to be very tolerant <laughs> of some strange people. You know, yeah, so true. Really, there's some weird dudes and ladies out there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, but but honestly, we get a kick out of it. You know, um, so you know, it's a lot of fun.
Okay, well, we're getting close to the hour. Um, so we try not to go too far over the hour. Sure, no, I understand. I know people's drives are not terribly long. They like to get a whole podcast in. Uh, so our last question does not have to be theater related, but we find it entertaining. Do you have any twin stories? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I tell you what, I I do, but I'm gonna I'm gonna play on words. I'm gonna say twin tower stories. And the reason why is because uh, when the first year we were around is when the, um, the, the Twin Towers got knocked down, 9-11. And I'll never forget that day because we actually had a show that afternoon. And uh, we were doing a show called Silver Dollar Saloon. And it was like a comedy cowboy show. And, um, and what, what actually happened was so, so crazy. Before we left for the show – um, you know, we saw it on TV and we're mm-hmm. like, Oh man, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, is this show still on? You know, we still going to do the show. Um, and, uh, we called the client and they said, yeah, nope, everything's on. You, you got to come out here. So we're like, okay. So we drove out there, uh, and we show up and, um, and we're getting all ready. And of course, you know, people are, you know, everybody's acting crazy because it's uh, uh, what's going on. And uh, we're getting ready. We're like, how are we going to do this? Because a lot of the beginning of the show is all really kind of corny and making fun of things. And, uh, you know, uh, not only that, there's like, it, it was about a, um, in, in the show, there's like a bomb that goes off in the, in the tent saloon. And we're like, how do we cut that? You know, people are going to, we don't want to have that. So, and then what happened was then we got a, a call from the, from the person it was a bus group and apparently the bus group uh was staying uh that day at a campground and the campground uh had no phones no nothing and this is kind of like when cell phones just started coming out so most people didn't have them certainly not seniors uh and so what happened was is uh, when the bus company calls up and says Oh uh, yeah, they're they're on their way, and at this point it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. They're on their way, and uh, I don't think anybody even knows what happened because they were in the woods and there's no phones, and the right. bus driver won't tell them because he doesn't know. That's a big thing to say. He doesn't want to tell them. So yeah. the so again, so we knew the bus. So the bus shows up. All these people are getting off. They're all laughing, having a good time. We're all just kind of standing around going, hmm. and um. And then they're, they're eating, and then as they start eating, all of a sudden, people start getting up and walking out, getting up and walking out, uh, getting – and then we hear, like, crying and weird stuff. Because remember, we're not too far from New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's people that knew people. And, and uh, one of the actors in the show is a firefighter, and he was seriously thinking about driving up to New York. Um, so, so we were, you know, in this very strange situation where we didn't know if the show was going to cancel. Uh, and finally it all came in and the owner of the place comes out and, and does like uh, a speech and then starts singing the national anthem and all that kind of stuff like that. And we did the show and it was very strange. It was just a very, very weird show because, um, you know, you didn't really get any laughs. It was very silent. People were being very respectful, but there was nothing you could do. You just had to move forward. But I don't know if that's the kind of twin story you wanted to hear. 
you know, uh, I couldn't think of anything else. And I'm, I'm good. No, but that's, that's so interesting that, yeah, you just kind of do have to move on. And especially with the company that you, especially with your company, where we were just talking about how you have to like go off of the audience reactions. You're now faced with this like very solemn event. And yeah, how do you do a comedy right. after that? No matter yeah. what you do, people aren't going to laugh because they're just not mentally there. So. And the problem is, it's not like a show, you know, where you're, you know, watching the color purple or something where you can be, you know, enraptured by the story and the drama. No, the whole idea is that we're you telling jokes and we expect them to laugh. And if they don't, that means we stink. So, right, right. So that was really, really weird. I don't think we've ever done a show that weird except maybe the the few shows that happened over the following week or two right were, were not as bad but close and those of you who were around those days remember even talk show hosts were kind of in a really difficult position they didn't know what to do yeah um, you know so Nobody knew that was interesting but we like to talk about it sometimes because it just shows you know how many things we've been through you know we've been around for you know in, in december it'll be 20 years you know, yeah. so we're proud that's, of that. Yeah, I'd be very proud of that too. That's a really, that's a really wonderful thing. I know we almost hit two years with the podcast, and we were like, "Damn, we've been doing this a long time." You guys are at twenty years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is very funny to look through pictures. You're like, "Wow, <laughs> you know, wow, have we really been doing this that long?" You know, but <laughs> you perfected D and D at this point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still like to play video game D&D, but not, I can't do regular anymore. Uh, Everybody stop playing. Nobody likes to play. You know, it's, it's time consuming. I'm sure a lot of people that like the D&D are the same way. They try to catch the dragon again and they, oh, we're going to get a campaign together. And, you know, somebody quits, somebody, you know, you, you, maybe you do one game and everybody has a good time and then you never pick it up again for two years. I feel so like that's how eighty percent of the games go. We're I'm lucky that the first game we started, everyone we've been on for two years for that. But there's a couple other games we've started that lasted a month or two or happen every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. But it's just, you know, me, I'm forty seven years old, so you know, uh when you have kids and family and self employed, you know, it's really hard to find time to dedicate to playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially with kids. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So true. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. That was very – I love that you're a D&D nerd and Twins always like, why do you always have to talk about that? And this time I didn't even know when it came up. So This time, see, <laughs> I was meant to be here. I was meant to be here. Exactly. <laughs> I rolled the 1D20 and got a <laughs> oh, it's So much better than our I last game. critical hit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Nobody's gonna know what critical hits are. I, know, I have no idea what you're talking about, but oh, you know, Stacy's yeah. excited. Yeah, I'm excited, <laughs> and when my husband edits it, he's gonna be excited. So uh, that's what really matters—how we feel about it. <laughs> well, whenever we do a good show, we say we hit a natural twenty. That's it, twin. Let's go with that. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll just start saying that. Like, I don't even know what this means, but uh, this was a really great podcast. So, <laughs> And then if people respond to you excitedly, just be like, here, go talk to my sister. <laughs> yeah, right, I will. I will. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, it, it was a real treat, real fun. Yeah, oh, thank, thank you, you so much. And best of luck for the next 20 years. Yes, yeah. thank you. Come thank out you. to California so I can see a show out here. Maybe the next yeah. time I'm in New York, Cindy and I will come down to see a show. 
Now, oh, that's great. What I told people is if I ever die, I said, listen, just deflesh me and use my skeleton in the Halloween show. You know, right. just put me in the skeletons as a prop. are expensive. Yeah. I could be a prop and, uh, you know, put LEDs in my skull where my eyes are, you know. Turn you into the coat rack. Yeah, yeah. I could be, and, and it would be cheaper, you know, than buying, yeah. you know, uh, one. And, you know, and the hat will definitely fit. So I think you're set. I would scare the hell out of little kids. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> That's not <fun>. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstalk Theater. Title music, Dance Macop, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.